Thanks for listening to Faith in the Fast Life. I'm Nick Orta. I'm your host. On this show, we look to break down the stereotypes of what the Christian looks like to the world by receiving testimony of action sports athletes and other athletes and just individuals across the world. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and fastlifeministries.com to give. Hope you enjoy this episode. So we're here, Fast Life Ministries, doing the Faith in the Fast Life podcast today with Richard Gergen, another one of the Dream Center guys that we're so excited to have here with us, um, you know, the series But God. And we'll just jump right into it. Richard, we're so thankful for you being here with us and being able Thank to you share for your me. story. Yeah, man, we're stoked. So let's, I mean, let's just jump right into it, man. Tell us, tell us about Richard. Where, where'd you come from? Let's, let's hear your story, man. My name is Richard Blair Gergen. I grew up in uh, small town Nebraska. Um, I was adopted away from my Indian tribe from South Dakota by a white Irish Catholic family. And uh, I had life pretty good growing up. I really did. Um, I was born in 1969. I'm 51 years old right now. And my childhood was uh, rather pleasant. Uh, had a loving and caring family. Um, something I probably would not have had had I continued to uh, grow up on a reservation in Native American culture because everybody kind of knows, you know, just through history what kind of a downfall that could be. Yeah. And um, normal childhood all the way up through high school, I played sports. I played football mostly. Um, graduated high school in 1988. Um the summer before I was 17, I joined up for the Army back then. It was called the uh, Delayed Entry Program, so I actually enlisted when I was 17 and didn't show up to training at Fort Benning, Georgia until 1988 after graduating high school. Um, my plan was to stay in the military for four years and then catch up with my high school friends at college. Um, I completed those four years, and I found that I had grown apart from the high school culture that I was kind of used to. I kind of had to grow up fast in the military. Um, I was part of the 75th Ranger Regiment. I stayed in that regiment for eight years. And from there, I continued on in airborne units throughout the military. And in my 11th year, I uh, took the option to uh, try Special Forces. And so I went through a program called SOFT, which is Special Forces Orientation Training. Uh, passed that course, was accepted to the qualification course. And in 2000, 2002, I had graduated the Q course and was accepted to a third special forces group. And that's where I retained, remained my entire career, the rest of my, the rest of my NCO career there. Awesome. Um, I pretty much, after the military, I got out in 2008 I traveled the uh, southeast, uh, went to Tennessee, Arkansas, and basically was just catching up with old friends, working my way back to the Midwest. I landed finally in Kansas City, Missouri, and that's where I was going to stay. I had family there and also in Lawrence, Kansas, which is only an hour away. And I hooked up with an electrical company while I was in Kansas City and started my journeyman's training. And that company offered me money to move to Denver. And so I went ahead and took it while I continued my training. And so in 2000, 
11, I attained my journeyman's license as an electrician. And I pretty much lived a normal, crime-free life. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I, I sure, I smoked marijuana, I, I drank. Um, I became a bartender at this given point in time. And never really got into the selling, buying of illegal narcotics because in Denver, you know, marijuana was legal at that time. So if I wanted weed, I just went to a dispensary. Right. And then, of course, alcohol was around as I was uh, bartending most of the time. So, right. So, tell me, like you, you said, you were adopted by a, a uh, Irish Catholic family. So, did you grow up in the church? Did you grow? Oh, up yes, as a Catholic? yes, yes. I, I was raised a devout Catholic. Okay. And uh, so we we have to, we just talked about it with Tony too with the the fan fan or follower. Did you say you're a fan of Jesus Christ, or were you a, a believer? I mean, were you, or are you just kind of I always find it funny, and I, I don't understand it. My mom went to all-girls Catholic school, and then I was not raised in a church like at all. Like We didn't go to church when I was a kid. And I sometimes feel like because of the Catholic background, sometimes it's almost like people stray far away from that. So as you got into this, you went into the military and everything else, did you, did you have Christ with you? Were you, a, were you a believer at that point, or had you just kind of— we understand you had a good life, but were you— following it or are you just going on your own will at that point when i joined the military i i was still following and a believer um i would have to say probably in my second uh enlistment that's when i kind of started straying away from actually going to church on sundays um me and a lot of my guys actually made it a point to go to church on post on sundays uh, just out of uh, respect for our superior officers and ncos that also showed up with their families. They actually wanted to see their people show up. And so we gave them that respect of showing up for church. And it wasn't just for that. For me, I actually still was a follower and believer in Christ. And uh, I can't say when I started straying away, but I did start straying away. And most guys in the military, it's usually in their first couple of years when that happens because they get away from mom and dad. They get away from that structure of going to church every Sunday. And it wasn't for me to tell them, you know, not to not do that and, you know, straighten up, fly right, because that wasn't my job. I mean, you're going to do what you're going to do because you're an adult at that given point in time in your life. So, yeah. And I guess I probably fell into that same thinking um, later on in uh, my career. And I've always believed in him. It's just that I, 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 walk, I went away from the structured religion part of, of, of my spirituality at that given point in time. I wouldn't say that I lost my spirituality. It's just that I wasn't practicing. Yeah. I mean, there were certain things that were going on with me. Um, during the first half of my career back then in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, for anybody in the military to walk up to their command and say, hey, I think I got a mental problem because of PTSD, that just wasn't heard of back then. Yep. You would have done that, they would have ran you out of the service. So a lot of the guys back then dealt with that by drinking. I mean, I did it myself. Yeah. And, there, you know, that, that's just what you did. And, you know, and you didn't talk even to your buddies about it. We all knew what was going on with each other, but, you know, you, you just didn't talk about it. And 
you know, hopefully somebody wouldn't hear a rumor and then that rumor got passed up to command and then all of a sudden you're sitting in front of the, com- the commanding officer and the first sergeant going, uh, Sergeant Gergen, what, uh, what, what's going on with you? We understand there's a problem. And then you're forced to lie to them and say, hey, no, nothing's going on. It's just uh, I, I may be drinking a little bit more than I probably should, and I'll, I'll go ahead and knock that off. And that was the end of story. <laughs> I was just curious with that to see if you carried that faith through. I know it's it's hard. A lot of times I was a firefighter as well. So I know a lot of the firefighters, it's almost like they're mad at God at times. And probably the same in the military too. So I was just curious to kind of jump back and capture that. But now you're in Denver, you're bartending, you get the weeds. Keep going. Tell me more. Um, Like I was saying before, I, I, I pretty much was living a uh, crime-free life. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I would never have considered myself a criminal or anything. Um, I was in the bar scene, still working as an electrician, and continuing living life the way that you know I felt that uh, was a good way of living life. I mean, I wasn't uh, going to church as much as I used to. I used to go like on the holidays. That was usually about it. Then I was able to report back to moms like, "Hey, I went to midnight mass. Hey, I went to uh, Easter Sunday. You know, I went to church before Thanksgiving," and. Uh, and then after a while, the drinking kind of got a hold of me again. Um, not so much as the drugging as much as the drinking. And uh, I didn't really fall into a pit hole. I, it never really affected my work or never really affected my financial. It just, uh, I I was drinking but, uh, to an extent to points where, you know, you do black out, but yet you don't, you don't want to admit that to other people. I mean. That's just the bar industry for you. So, um, but uh, I was uh, training uh, a young girl to uh, be one of our bartenders. I was kind of one of the senior bartenders at the time, and so I was asked to let her come in on my shift and train with me half of my shift. So I worked the first four hours while she watched me behind the register how I handled customers and whatnot, and then the last four hours of my shift, I turned it over to her. And let her run the bar while I sat at the other end of the bar with the customers and just paying attention to what she was doing. And one of the things that I like to have my bartenders do is actually try to kick somebody out of the bar. I want to see how they handle themselves. And unfortunately, it went wrong. The customer actually laid hands on her, and I lost it. I lost it. I went over there, I grabbed him, and it was on. Um, I probably carried it a little too far than I should have, but that was just anger. I, I don't know if that was the anger issues in me that were coming out of the time. And, uh, now that I been clean and sober for over 19 months, I actually, I do admit that, yeah, I did have anger issues that were underlying and that I did not address. And I caught a felony assault charge on that and, it would have been a little bit less severe had the bar cameras not been used in the prosecution. They actually, the judge saw me drink a shot of whiskey and uh, chase it with a, a beer. And he even told me that in the sentencing. He's like, I wouldn't be this harsh on you, Mr. Gergen, had I not seen you actually do that shot of whatever you were drinking and then chase it with a beer before the fight started. And I tried to tell him, it's like, well, that's not how or why the fight started. He's like, I understand that, but... That's what the prosecution used against you, and unfortunately, it's going to work. So the judge went, or the DA in the state asked for six to nine years on for felony assault, 
and uh, the judge and the uh, uh, my lawyer and the DA, finally they started talking about things, and then they took into the fact of my age, my military past, and they gave me the benefit of a doubt, and they gave me a two-year sentence with one-year tail. So that's what I wound up doing. I did 11 months on a two-year sentence, and I'm currently in a halfway house right now. When I got out of uh, Sterling uh, December 24th of 2020, I went to CoreCivic Fox facility and entered a 90-day ERT program, which is intensive recovery treatment, and I graduated that class, and then I wound up at another halfway house, ACTC in Inglewood, and that's when I approached the Dream Center. A friend of mine had uh, already been with the Dream Center for a little bit, and he had to- he started talking to me about it when I was at, at the same facility with him before I went to the next facility. And I didn't think anything about it for a while, and then um, I was just thumbing through some paperwork, getting ready to go out job hunting. And I went out and I did it on my own to look for a job. And when I got to the interview, I thought things were going great. They're, you know, I'm... Um, I've got this confidence built up in me, and they're not going to ask me the question. And what that question is for most guys coming out of prison is the number seven line on most job applications is, have you been convicted of a felon, felony in the last seven years? And I'm just mentally willing this guy not to ask that question. And he did ask it, and so that's what kind of broke my back in the middle of the interview. And, you know, I can't lie to him. I have to tell him the truth because if I lie to him, he's just going to find it out anyway because nine out of ten times before he even asks me, he's probably already knows the answer. He just wants to see how I'm going to react to it. So I probably stuttered and stammered for a second, so that probably was the downfall of that. So I tried to go out there and do things on my own when I got out because that's just the way I was before I went in. And I found that I couldn't do that. I actually needed help, and I didn't know where to find that guidance. I tried to ask guys in the halfway house about things, and, of course, most guys living in a halfway house, they're lost themselves. So um, I got to thinking about the Dream Center, so I went ahead and uh, called them up, and uh, they said, come on in, talk to us. And so I went in there and talked to them, and we set up a, uh, not really an interview, but set up kind of like they wanted me to fill out a little bit of paperwork and by the end of that uh, two hours, you know, they pretty much said, come on in uh, the following Monday. And so I did. And when I got there, it was not what I actually had expected from what I was told about it. I knew that they were faith-based. And it wasn't an overwhelming faith-based. I mean, either you're going to be have spirituality or you're not. And then if you don't really have it, you're not going to get slammed on you. I mean, but you will eventually learn how to accept it, and that is part of the growing process of coming out of that shell of inclusiveness with yourself, is which I was I was very inclusive. Nothing I built that defensive wall around me when I was in prison, and I brought it out with me, not really knowing that that wall was still in front of me, and it was actually very impenetrable. I, I allowed nobody to tell me anything. I knew everything, and I didn't. So, right. well, it's it's easier. It's a defense mechanism, right? Oh yeah, big so time. That we uh, we talk about um, hurt people hurt, right? You have hurts inside of you that you're not necessarily dealing with, therefore you build that wall 
and, and put that all the way around you. So can I just get a little bit of a timeline of this? So it, when this happened in the bar, how many years ago was this now? Um, it happened in 2000. The end of 2019 or no, 2018. So it, it took about a year for the, the, I mean, I fought it immediately. So when they first arrested me after the incident, I mean, they didn't arrest me right then and there after the incident actually happened. They arrested the gentleman that uh, did the assault on the bartender, and I actually had to participate in her hearings. So that took about three to four months, and then once he got convicted of his assault, then their attorneys came after me because they had the videotapes. Right. And so I was informed by a detective of the Denver Police Department that uh, charges were being brought up against me for uh, assault. And I was like, well, how bad of assault? And he's like, right now it looks like it's going to be an F5, F6. And I was like, okay, what does that really mean to me? He's like, anywhere between two to three years, maybe four probation tops, you won't do jail time. So I was kind of I was okay with that at the time, I guess. And then when it finally did come to light in trial, um, the state and the uh, DA were had got it to an F4 felony, which was mandatory prison time. And they were trying to give me more prison time than what the mandatory was. Right. So so through through that, you came out of the military, you came to Denver as a, as a journeyman electrician, you got working in the bars. Did you continue the journeyman stuff? Oh, yes, I'm... I'm you're still an electrician yes, yes. at this point. So you're an electrician who was still bartending, and that was kind of just the pattern of life. Where were you at that point, basically just attending church on holidays and stuff like that, right? And now that this has happened, and you're on the out... You're, I guess we'd say you're on the outside looking in now. Like, you can look back at that instance. Have you become closer to God now? Are you finding that you're walking more in faith as you enter into the Dream Center and you get around these guys and you talk about the spirituality, but are you getting closer? Where are you in that walk with Jesus? I am right there. Um, I don't want to say that I, I, I found God again because I got in trouble. I mean, a lot of guys will use that, not as so much an excuse, but an escape while they're in prison. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't allowed to actually participate in something as far as constructional in any kind of uh, spirituality or any kind of religion, except for maybe the first three to four weeks I was in prison because COVID locked us down. So nine out of those 11 months in Sterling, I was actually locked down 23-7 until they ended uh, the phase two COVID part of of whatever was going on in that facility. So, yeah, it, it was actually pretty rough in there with, you know, just being locked in your prison for three days in a row and then getting out one day. So they're pretty much have you, I mean, it's like you're in solitary, but you're in regular prison. Exactly. Exactly yeah, what because, it was. Because of COVID. I couldn't, yep. I mean, I could imagine, like I never even thought about that. <laughs> like you have what COVID did to everybody, but you guys that were locked up, like that's a whole nother level. Like you're locked up and now you're locked down. So locked up and locked down. Yeah. That's crazy, man. So, uh, but now we're through it. You're out. You're basically doing halfway house, and you're doing Dream Center, and and you're sharing. So tell us about your Dream Center experience so far. Like how how is that for you? Well, like I said, I was actually pretty surprised when I walked in because 
the overwhelmness that I would thought I was going to feel when I got there wasn't there. I mean, everybody pretty much welcomed you, and uh, they weren't. I thought it was going to be something sort of like a uh, prove prove to us you got to be here. Proof, you know that that's basically what you're you're used to when you're incarcerated is you got to prove to some of the program managers that you know I'm not just here to do this to get time off my sentence and it wasn't like that when I got to the dream center it was basically you know at first I thought well what are we going to do what are we doing next what do we I mean cuz it was such a relaxed day and the people around me were so relaxed it's like Okay, so the first day, you know, it was just basically a lot. We they introduced me to everybody, and uh, we we prayed, and I was actually pretty thankful for that because the anxieties I was feeling, um, especially after being rejected by society like that, because I had actually never felt that type of prejudice in my life. I may be guilty of actually being one of those people being prejudiced to somebody who actually went to prison or got in trouble. You know, I I might have thought a little bit a little bit more higher than my, of myself than I did looking at an inmate or like me and you had actually discussed earlier about an alcoholic or an addict. Yep. I mean, that's just the way society perceives people. And I never thought I would be on the other end of that, but I was. Right. And, a humbling experience. Oh, very humbling, very humbling. Okay. So I, I had to real, I, I realized that I had to take that experience and turn it around and make a positive win out of it. And so when I found out that we were working with another group called Thrive Colorado, who trains uh, the guys in our group to do job maintenance, job finding, and uh, interview skills and whatnot. And one of the questions I asked them was about that seventh line. And they're like, well, what happened? I told them what exactly what happened. And so they started guiding me on how not to avoid it, but to maybe actually try and just go ahead and come out front with it on your next interview and just to see what the reaction of the interviewer was so that it wasn't him pitting himself against you or you pitting yourself yeah. against We're just put, going in and put everything on the table. Well, you, and, you have control of it at that point. Yes, right? exactly. So it's not, it's not like a shock to you. It's, no. It's, hey, here it is. This is what it is, and it's here. Do you want to keep going? Like, just get all, all the cards on the table, right? I like exactly. That. I mean, basically, I was trying to quantify myself by showing them what my what my resume entailed, the experience and the licensings that I have had. Because in the uh, nine years, nine and a half years of being a journeyman, um, I attained a what's called a NYSET license, and that is fire alarm systems. And most guys find that a very difficult task to get through because the National Electric Code changes almost on a monthly basis for those depending on what happens out there in the world is like just same as with the National Electrical Code. And what changes make what what makes those changes in those codes are accidents, fires, and mishaps. So there's always going to be those on a constant basis no matter what around the country. So once they find fault in something, then somebody smarter than me is going to say, we're going to do it this way so it doesn't happen again. So you got to constantly be on your game toes. I was constantly calling the licensing excise office in Denver and getting a new book every month, paying for it for myself, just so that I could compare to what job I was on at the current time 
And whatever I was working on the moment, I looked at the new set of rules and saw, did they change something? Am I going to run into a revise on this? And if I do see something that here, then I go ahead and approach my boss who approaches his boss. And then we uh, go to the architect and we say, hey, uh, National Electrical Code says we have to change this because of whatever, whatever. So I need to get back in there and do that change order. Right. So is that something you're currently working on then is try to get back into that field? Um, I, I could very well go back into it. Um, I've talked to my old electrical company. They're not holding me going to prison against, you know, they're not holding that against me. Um, I pretty much could walk onto that job, walking back into their office today and I'd get my job back. Um, one of the aspirations I had before I had met the Dream Center was that I would actually go back to that electric company and talk to my boss and say, hey, you kind of know what I'm all about, how, how I handle this, um, my job, and, you know, you know my integrity, and I would like your permission to go ahead and try for the master's test. And so what they would do is they would go ahead and give me a job and task within the company to where I would go ahead and start training um, other guys to not only do the nice set, but I would also be working intensively with the guys take trying to get their journeyman's license also. I mean, it, it's kind of like a, st- a stepping stone that you have to do in order to get that uh, master's license. Right. That's awesome, man. So as we kind of a, a near the end here, I, I like to ask everybody, for the listeners involved, if there's what's one thing that you'd like to leave with the listeners, you know, whether they're believers or non-believers or whatever they're, if there's one thing that they get out of out of hearing you talk about your story today, what do you want to leave with them? One of the biggest things I've actually had to learn to do is I was never really in denial of my crime, but I guess I was really angry of the fact that I wound up in prison for it. And when I was in prison, I learned to own that crime. Um, I know I did it. I know I got in trouble for it. And I know I put myself in here. I didn't blame society. I didn't blame, I didn't blame the victim. I had my own self to blame. That was me and me only. Um, ownership is all I ask anybody. If, even if you, you don't think you're a sinner, we are sinners. And, just own that sin. It's going to go away eventually, you know. It, you know, in your mind, in your heart, it it's going to get, it's going to come out. You don't have to dwell on that. And I think that's what a lot of guys coming out of the joint actually gets them back in trouble is, is they carry what put them in the joint back out onto the street. Mm-hmm. And they think that society also is holding on to that when in all actuality, Nobody really knows anything about you. I mean, I, I, the, some of the anxieties of walking into a store, Walmart, for instance, and shop, and then me having to set my stuff down and look around to see if that security guard is following me around or, or somebody's following me trying to accuse me of doing this or that, and that's all in my mind. Yep. And so I had, I had to learn how to get rid of that, and how I get rid of that is I own everything I do every day. There, everything I do is is on my own. Nobody forces me to do right or wrong. So, yep, no, that's good. That's uh, taking ownership of 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 who you are and accepting who you are and your flaws, and realizing that Christ can help you through all of those is a huge one for me. 
So. Absolutely. And Richard, we're so thankful to have you here today. Uh, DCDreamCenter.org. Den- I'm going to mess that up every time we go to say it. DenverDreamCenter.org. And uh, that's how we can get hold of the Dream Center. Richard, we thank you for your story today. As always, everybody, FastLifeMinistries.com. Get signed up to give and support this ministry. We're looking for uh, some blessings uh, to keep this moving. And Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify, YouTube, like it, subscribe to it, follow it. Um, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And we look forward to getting to the next episode of this series, But God. Have a blessed day, everybody.